you may have heard of the term pre-diabetes. With a name like this, you may wonder whether it means you're already somewhat diabetic and need to be on a diabetic diet. Welcome to the Nutrition Tidbits Podcast. This is Gloria Thang, Editor-in-Chief for HealthCastle.com. Joining me today is nutritionist and certified diabetes educator Susan Berg-March, author of the new book, Making Way Control Second Nature. She's here today to demystify prediabetes and talk about what you can do to deal with it. Thank you for joining me, Susan. Thank you. Now, first comes first, could you explain in layman's term what prediabetes is and how it differs from regular diabetes? Well, the... the uh term pre actually means that if you don't do something to change the what's going on right now in your body, you will probably most likely be diagnosed with diabetes. And we're talking about type 2 diabetes, which is uh, a, a disease that's similar to type 1 in that it has some of the same symptoms, but it's different because usually it's a disease associated with weight and lifestyle. So now... So- so being overweight, and 90%, 80 to 90% of people diagnosed with diabetes have type 2 diabetes, and about 80% or more of the people with type 2 diabetes get it when they're overweight. So what's the criteria for diagnosis? How does a doctor know that someone is, you know, has a prediabetes condition? Prediabetes can be determined by testing, blood tests either a a fasting glucose or a glucose tolerance test where you drink a a sugar solution and then they test your blood. So that the diagnosis of prediabetes is when your blood sugar isn't quite the level which would be diagnosed as diabetes, but it is in a level that's not normal. So it's indicating that you're either, it's also called impaired glucose tolerance or insulin resistance. And what happens is that it's, it's a notice. You're on notice that you're, you need to make some changes because your body is not able to deal with carbohydrates. And mm. it, um, it is causing high blood sugar. And this is very dangerous. It can cause all kinds of complications. So if someone has been diagnosed with prediabetes, what's the first step they should do in terms of the food science and the diet? And that's a really great question because I did a lot of work with diabetes diets and creating diabetes diets when I worked uh, on an online company. And I really understand that diabetes is not necessarily a prescription for a diet, but what it is is for a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So. A balanced diet, meaning that there is no one food that you can't eat or foods that you must eat, but what you really need to do is look at your total diet, and preferably with a registered dietitian and a diabetes educator, and really create your diet. Because what we do know about diets is that if you're trying to go on a weight loss diet, they all work. (laughs) They've done a lot of research about diets. But the diet that works the best, the one that works to make you the healthiest, is the diet that you could uh, incorporate into your lifestyle permanently. And that's a, that's a kind of a radical uh, notion because most people think of the word diet as something like deprivation. But instead mm-hmm. of deprivation, you need to make your diet something that you enjoy. And it might mean modifying what you usually eat. It might mean increasing more whole grains, fruits, and vegetables, and decreasing fried foods and refined carbohydrates. 
And the other um, part of the equation that is essential and non-negotiable is increasing some activity. And I'm not saying you have to go to a gym. I'm not saying you have to run a marathon. But your body needs exercise, your cells, in order to work better and get that, uh, the carbohydrates absorbed into your bloodstream, it needs to have some activity. So that might mean taking a walk and then really walking and not just strolling. It might mean mm-hmm. dancing. It might mean biking or swimming or whatever you do, but you just have to do it. Now, so can dietary changes as well as perhaps increased activity prevent the progression from pre-diabetes to diabetes? And, and that is a very good question. Um, yes, lifestyle changes can prevent the, uh, advancing to type 2 diabetes. They've done, the Diabetes Prevention Program is a really good study with large numbers of people. And they did find that people with prediabetes can often prevent or delay diabetes if they lose a modest amount of weight, maybe just 5 to 7% of their body weight. And they could, uh, if they incorporate some physical activity with the dietary changes, they could, they could prevent the advancement to type 2 diabetes in a lot of cases. Over 60% of people uh, in the study did prevent it. Mm. You know, the topic of sugar always comes out when we talk about diabetes. So what's your take on cutting sugar completely? And, and also, what's your take on artificial sweeteners? I think that sugar is uh, made out to be because of diabetes. And, and, and certainly, um, that, that was historically the understanding. But sugar is a carbohydrate. And just like any carbohydrate, it needs to be monitored and measured to a certain extent in your diet. So sugar has no nutritional value, but it sure tastes good. And so you want to make sure that it's in the right portion size. So occasionally sugar, you know, like in a cookie, uh, that, you know, it's not not a, a food that you have to avoid forever. You just have to work it in in the right portion size. And that, again, is how a registered dietitian can help you. Because if you are really looking for that sweet treat, you might be able to put it in your diet in a way that you, know, you could enjoy it without it hurting your, your blood sugar. So, um, you know, like choosing something in a small amount and accompanying it with exercise might really be able to balance it out. Artificial sweeteners, I think, play an important role in managing diabetes. Um, the ones that are approved by the uh, Food and Drug Administration here in, in America, for example, um, in, in the right portion size, again, can really be helpful because it can allow you to have something sweet without having to worry about the amount of carbohydrate that's in it. So I think they, po- they can play an important role, but not, you know, not overdoing it, of course. Mm. So what about those natural sugar? You know, it's very popular, stevia. Or, you know, it's been really, really hot in the last few mm-hmm. months. What's that? Well, I think they play a place. I mean, they're now approved, and they're, they're naturally sweet. They're not non-caloric, as opposed, like, for example, um, like Splenda versus the, their new sun crystals. They're both options, and they taste different. They're sweet, but they, they taste different. I've tried them both. Um, I think they play a place in your diet. I don't think that anything that comes in a package is purely natural. 
I think <laughs> that's my opinion. I think if you're mm-hmm. totally looking for something natural, you're going to find it in the produce section of your grocer. Um, if if you want sugar, even white sugar, even honey. I mean, these are things that are processed to a certain extent. And they're all either caloric or non-caloric. And I don't demonize foods, and I don't say that one food can make you healthy and one food will make you sick. It's all in concert of a, of a healthy program. So using these products can be fine, but you're using them in small amounts and they really shouldn't make a difference in your health whether or not you choose Splenda or you choose Sun Crystals. They're both used to enhance your diet to make it taste better, maybe for a treat. You know, use it in that, in that sense. Mm. Now, Susan, tell us more about your new book, Making Weight Control Second Nature. Thank you. Making Weight Control Second Nature, subtitled Living Thin Naturally, is a live it book and not a diet book. And it stems from my experience as a member of a dietetic practice group called the Weight Management Dietetic Practice Group, where we were talking about how clients or people, even friends, will look at me and say, oh, you're naturally thin, you don't have to worry about what you eat. But in fact, that's kind of telling me what they think about me. And it's not telling me a lot about what they think about them, but it is. They're saying, they're looking at me and they're thinking, I have a skinny gene. And since they don't have that gene, they'll never be able to lose weight and keep it off permanently. And I found that it's kind of a misconception, but when, when I describe my, my lifestyle, I realized that this is something that other people could benefit from. So the book takes you from understanding what it is to think, think naturally thin, making healthy choices, and then going through the whole process of understanding wherever you go, whatever you do, you can make healthy choices. And I take you through all the scenarios where it's living, you know, working or, or um, vacationing or dining out. It's got a lot of resources and references about how to take control of your lifestyle, and it shows you what other people do to remain uh, thin naturally. Mm, great information. To find out more about Susan's book, you can go to her website, www.susanburkmarsh.com, and we'll have a link on our website too. Thank you again for joining me, Susan. You're welcome. We've been talking to nutritionist Susan Burke-March, author of Making Weight Control, Second Nature. For more healthy eating tips and information about this show, go to healthcastle.com.